Hello, and welcome back to the Rainy Night Radio. This year comes to a close and comes towards summer. The greatest opportunity for reflection as you're drowned in free time and have room for thought. I've begun to reflect now on this year. It felt like it passed me so quickly by. Time is always a mysterious thing. And as I look at how time just snapped right by, almost from when I imagined going off to college three or four years ago as some great fantasy to going off in five or so months, it just made me realize how things that feel so far away aren't really that far. This topic for the podcast is fear of death and also fear of lack of control. Both topics are very much intertwined. But it's recently been on my mind how death is something that's so present in our lives, even if it's far away. Even though it may seem far away, is it really? Because time is a strange and miraculous thing that catches you by surprise. Tonight, the discomfort that arises when listening for you, I hope you're able to lean into it, not just push it away, and recognize it. At least that's what's helped me a lot when dealing with fear of death. But that being said, I hope you're also able to enjoy yourself and relax, and feed into the rhythm of the Rainy Night Radio. Today we have a wonderful guest on a Ray Night Radio, Sebastian Salman. Sebastian, it's a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing? Good, good. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So today I brought you on with the topic of fear of death. And pretty much what I want to ask you is what interests you about this topic of fear of death? And why would you want to come on and talk about it? Well, I think fear of death is the ultimate. That's the ultimate fear. You know, that's what you're taught since you're a baby to... to to avoid because that's how you stay alive you know that's part of your natural instinct there's that's baked into everyone that's kind of the one fear that's truly i don't know i guess fire and death are the two like instinctual evolutionary fears that you have so i think that that's a good thing to explore Mm, i see so you kind of think like fear of death of course is just survival mechanism kind of ingrained into us and do you think that's a positive thing? Because, I mean, of course, fear of death is a lot of what keeps us alive. Yeah, I think it's a mixed bag. Because you have fear of death. You have, you, have, you have a fear that keeps people from, I don't know, standing too close to cliffs and standing to, or, or I don't know, doing... It keeps people from doing dumb shit because you're scared of dying. But it also, it can, I think it can be a bad thing. Like, I can think. I do think that it can restrict people from living living their full life or doing what they want to do because they're scared of what might happen, and it can lead to a lot of anxiety. 
Yeah, and one of the most ironic things, I think, on this, like, train of thought is how certain people will do crazy activities, go, like, bungee jumping, like, cliff climbing, um, motorcycle, like, jumping over stuff, to, like, go and, for a moment, escape the thoughts of life and, within life, death. And by doing so, they're risking their lives and coming very close to death a lot of the time. But they're doing it in some ways to avoid the thought of death by going towards death. I think I think it's more than like daredevil sense or less than or less avoiding death. Or I guess maybe it's a method of like method of avoiding it and, and putting it off or, or a method of avoiding it. But it's really I think it's about coming close to to the the ultimate you know that's the ultimate fear that's the the ultimate that's the last thing period mm-hmm. that will happen to you and anything finishing anything ending is scary you know when you're a kid high school ending scary whatever like whatever parents marriage ending anything ending means there's change and change is scary so i think that it's coming really close to that and feeling that fear I, I don't think that they're escaping the fear of death. I think that they're running towards it and feeling it super intensely mm. for the high that it gives you, because it, it is a high. I see. So it's more exerting their power over death, almost as if they're like, yeah. I'm able to control. Yes, rather than running, looking, looking death in the face, looking down the barrel of the shotgun and doing that, which is a thing that no one does saying not today interesting so what other ways do you think we can look death right down the barrel of the shotgun and do you think it's healthy for us to do that talk to some fucking old people man and that sounds funny but that's a, that's 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 real stuff like i don't know if you're if you're like old old people die of course but if you if you like it's easy to, I don't know, what do you do with an old person when you're dying? You put them in a home, because so you don't have to be there for that, and so someone else can deal with that, cause, because looking death in the face, if, especially if it's your family, is horrible, and it's a terrible thing. But I do think that looking, looking, like staying, forcing yourself to stay with it and to be uncomfortable, and, and I don't know, talk to your, terminally ill grandmother or whatever is is a way to look look it in the face because even though it's not your own death it is death that you are running away from and 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 i think that forcing yourself to be uncomfortable by 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 looking into the face of death is and not the again not the face of your own death the face of a loved one's death is I, I, I think that's healthy, and I think that, that helps people come to terms with death. In terms with death. Yes. One thing I wonder, though, is do you think you need to wait until your grandmother's terminally ill, for example, to have those conversations about death? Because one of the things that I find in Western society especially, but in the world in general, people wait to have conversations about death, both with other people and with themselves, until it's very late in their lives. 
do you think it would be healthy for people to be talking about death from a very early age? Just simply, um, I guess, with friends or family, not people necessarily who are close to dying, who are old, but people who are very much alive, but still recognize that death is a really present and real thing they'll have to deal with one day. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you should talk to young kids about death. No need to like freak out your six-year-old by telling them your dog's gonna die one day. But, yeah. like, but like, yeah, I think that's the reason that no one, that few, very few people can actually look death in the face is because we're taught to be like, oh, no, 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 like, oh, not, not this, not, not this, no, oh, you, like, oh, don't look at that, oh, that's about death, oh, don't do that, that's like, like, I guess violence is a different thing, but, but, oh, don't look at this, don't look at that, don't talk about this, don't talk about that, that's bad, you shouldn't talk about that, because, like, yeah, it's scary, but then I do think that that's what leads you to, I do think that that's what creates, like, the stigma around it and it's weird to say there's stigma around something that literally everyone and everything that has ever existed will go through mm-hmm. but so it's weird like for a stigma that that exists that has no exceptions but there definitely is death stigma and I think talking about it earlier and younger and trying to just be more comfortable with the idea of death would help uh, alleviate that Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, what's kind of so shocking is we're all united under all having to die one day. We all have that fear. Well, at least like 99 point whatever percent of the population have that fear. And despite that, it's not something we talk about. When there's there's stuff like other deep topics that like we all share, um, I guess, a burden of. A lot of the time, that's something we really do talk about as a society because we need to make sure that we're able to address that. But with death, we often push it away from ourselves. And do you think death is just so great of a fear in comparison to everything else that we're unable to really address it and we shy away from it whenever we can? Um, I think the reason... So, going into the second part of the title of this episode, Lack of Control, or Fear of Lack of Control. I think the reason people shy away from death is because there's no control over it. You can control all your other fears, like, you know, if you're Hague, you can lock yourself under my couch <laughs> and to combat claustrophobia, or if you're, if, whatever, if you have arachnophobia, you can, con- you can conquer that fear, and you can conquer the fear of death, but you can't conquer death, so it's an endless battle. It's a yeah, it's a that's a losing battle. So that's why I think people mm. shy away from it. I see. No well, I think I think all fears stem from fear of death, and I believe when you're conquering little fears, it's your way of conquering fear of death in segments. In you're working through it because you can't conquer something so large, something so unfathomably deep that you'll have to look into and have to face. And one of the harder things about fear of death is we, the only way we can deny it is pushing it away because we know it's going to happen. We're able to push other things away even if something's extremely probable with the thought in our back of our heads of we don't know if this will happen. Death is set for us. It's just when we'll die. 
One thing I also wanted to talk about was back before when we were talking about children in fear of death. I find it especially interesting how children, even before they know what death is, they still fear death in the way they are careful with what they're doing. Um, and they have certain like ingrained biological um, like functions, I guess, that yeah, like cause them a kid, a kid. Yeah, yeah. to do things to survive. So fear of death is ingrained in us beyond the psychological aspect yeah i think that's where the evolution plays in you know before you can teach a baby before you can teach a toddler what death is they're not going to go running out in front of a moving car i mean there are unfortunate cases where that does happen of course but but they're not gonna want to go towards that because there's something in in you or like or like fire or something in you that knows that that's dangerous so i think that that's the that is where the evolution comes in and then once you're past that age where it's yourself thinking for where it's yourself like it's your psychology keeping you alive rather than your evolution keeping you alive i think that that's 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 a different thing. Hmm. Yeah, I do think that there's two two sections of that. I see. Well, recently I've also had a lot of discussions about the psychological aspect of fear of death and also about death in general. And I saw how I had it with St. Anne's, a lot of students there. There was a gust room. Okay. And I was oh, doing yeah. it on fear of death. And gust is get uncomfortable, start talking. It's something our school does every year four times three times yeah, a couple like times and pretty much students run discussions and i was one of the facilitators of a discussion with another one of my friends ren kimbreeze as you may have heard Roni. yeah you heard him before Kimbreezy. and pretty much me and ronan were facilitating this topic on fear of death and also how it relates to fear of lack of control and how those are intertwined and how all fears fall into this pit of fear of death and fear of lack of control and we tried to like dive deep into the ideas of what fear of death means and like how to handle our fear of death and trying to make the room like look into their own death and recognize they're gonna die one day and what we found is everyone in the room seemed to want to push away this discussion of fear of death so they chose to come to this room but instead they chose to talk about dreams and how dreams were somewhat like death. That took up about 60% of our time talking. And, and whenever we totally tried to steer it back, they turned it back to dreams. And one thing that was so interesting for me is seeing how people want to tackle fear of death because it was a giant room of people. But when you're actually in the room having this discussion, you're pushing yourself away from it. Even if you want to be able to handle it, it's a hard thing to get past. I think, I think, well, tackling something, tackling an inner fear is, I think, easier. It's harder in a big room and easier in, I don't know, a small, like, by yourself, honestly. It's the easiest way to, the easiest way to, to, reflect and conquer something maybe not conquer a fear because like obviously other people can play a role in that but the easiest way to to get over something is looking inward and reflecting inward and i think 
that having a bunch of people in the room can can impede that because all of a sudden you're not thinking, oh, what am I thinking? You're thinking, what are they thinking about what I'm saying? And I think that that can shift the whole thing. So I think conquering something, like conquering something, a lot of gust rooms are about like external things, like social, whatever, social inequity or, or, or Saint, so the climate of St. Anne's. I think conquering something inside or, or, or handling something, looking inside yourself can be harder with a big group of people. And also I think that a reason that people shy away from fear of death is because you need to know what something is to be able to conquer it. Like whatever, spiders, you know what's gonna happen if you're, if you're scared of spiders, but you know what's gonna happen if you get touched by a spider. It's gonna feel icky and mm -hmm. scratchy and creepy crawly and it'll bite you maybe, whatever. Or, or you're scared of heights. You know what's gonna happen if you fall. You're gonna die and you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, whatever, crack your Unless head open you on the fall pavement. From a very low height. Unless, yes, yes, but that's not height. Or, or, or anything. Fear of, fear of whatever. You know what's gonna happen. But death is the singular, not singular, but one of the singular, just utter, utter mysteries in the human experience and and I think that that's what makes it such a difficult thing to handle because how can you how can you tackle a fear of something when you don't even know what the, what the, what the hell happens and I think that's why people use religion and you know the idea of heaven mm -hmm. or hell comes up or reincarnation or 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 yeah I think that's people come up with these reasons and they fill this because death is a void they fill this void with stories and that's where all religion stems from mm. you think all religion is just to tackle fear of death maybe not all but but all religion is to tackle the fear of the unknown I think, you know, yeah. why is there thunder? Oh, there must be a dude up there who's raining down his wrath on us because it sounds, like, angry. Why is there why is there sunshine and why do we have good crops? Oh, we must be doing something well to someone else, you know, when you don't have an explanation for something. I think what makes us human is that when you don't have an explanation for something, you don't just take that for granted. You look and you search and you, and you pry. So, and I think that's like what led us to start using tools as monkeys and stuff. So, 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 I think religion is definitely a tool for tackling the unknown. And what's the greatest unknown? Death. So, you know, heaven or hell, that's you know, one of the biggest ideas in Christianity or in like Western religions and stuff. And, and it's reincarnation, that's big in Eastern religions too. Like, Sure. I was reading Freud recently, and he was talking about religion and how it ties into the ego. And his idea on religion is when we're born, we're like, we have a super ego or pure ego. And that's pretty much like we're unable to separate the internal and external worlds. Um, internal in your brain and external. Yeah. Okay. Um, and of course, there's this type of like call and response I guess between the two I guess like your body and the external in terms of the baby and the mother's breast is like the analogy he makes he's like you 
call out for this and then it like comes i guess when you're like a baby and like the super ego as a child is there's like nothing really more to the world than just like the security of knowing when i cry i'll get milk i'll get that like protection and he says religion is the ego's way of protecting one as a like protect itself as one like goes on through life and begins to separate the internal and the external worlds and their ego from the external world by making it so they go back into the state of i guess familiarity and comfort and it becomes a mother's breast religion becomes a mother's breast is the is prayer the call yeah pray and and what and and like you pray and you, your response is, I guess, God's wisdom or or whatever God answers. However God answers to your prayer, is that the response, or is the is the response just having the security of knowing that, you know, there's the, the big man upstairs has got it all figured out and. I think it's a combination of both. I mean, a prayer, of course, is another example of that. But in general, it's just the feeling of connection with someone who's looking out for you, some greater power that is able to sustain you and keep you safe. So then if you like follow follow his ways, follow the Bible, that's the call and his protection is is the, the response? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. One thing though I find so interesting with that is putting in contrast with Buddhism, which I find to be complete opposite of that, where Buddhism is about suppressing your ego it's about reaching the non-self instead of the self yeah because the ego is the self is just egoless right yeah pretty much because one starts out with the ego or self and pretty much the goal of buddhism is to release that self it's to reach this state of nothingness where first you recognize that everything in the world has a cause and effect uh, and there's no real, like, nothing else other than that, I guess. It's kind of like when something happens, it results in this happening. And then the second thing is realizing there's no real you. You're just like a collection of molecules yeah. or whatever. You're not um, a self in the way we, like, group ourselves to be. And the way we have egos is we think of ourselves as, like... I don't know, some type of creatures where we try and stay alive because that's what's ingrained in us and we follow certain pleasures and certain pulls that cause us to keep alive and sustain ourselves. But that's just in our like inner idea of self and our inner like programming. And pretty much what Buddhism aims to do is over time release that. And yeah, that's interesting. You definitely see that with how they deal with death because heaven and hell you're taking your your ego all of the all of the like i like to think of ego as if the world is this three-dimensional space of interactions your ego is the sphere around a certain certain ones that you call yours so so it's this like sphere of this sphere that encompasses certain interactions or certain things that happen to you or certain things that you do and that's you and that's what you certain properties traits of yourself whatever that's that's who you are so if 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 you think about heaven and hell 
what's being judged, the inside, the, the inside of that sphere. You know, you're being judged on the shit that you did as an as an alive person, like what you did and how you felt and all this stuff about you, and it's all egocentric. But with Buddhism or, or with reincarnation, it's about dissolving that. You know, you'd mm. be reincarnated into, and maybe it is about about maybe there is. You know, like if if you you can be reincarnated into like a higher or lower form of life, right? Mm-hmm. Based on what you've done as a human. Well, there's different ideas among like different branches of Buddhism uh-huh. what reincarnation looks like, and one of my favorite things about Buddhism, of course, is how the highest spiritual leaders say we don't know, we're we're not sure of this, we're just following the Buddha's teachings. Yeah. So. So, okay, with any, any version of reincarnation, if, even if it's like where you go higher up, this one that's most similar to heaven and hell, the one that's most egocentric is you go higher up if you led a good life as a human and you go lower down on, on this, I guess, chain of existence if you, if you didn't leave a good life. But, but that's not you, your sphere, being eternally punished or eternally like being eternally gratified it's 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 dissolving that and forming something new mm-hmm. like or whatever you get reincarnated into a flower and you've got this second chance to to be a flower and to live your life as something else and or it's not even a second chance because it's it's not about you it's more like communal you're you're Everyone's being reincarnated into something else, and it's this flowing, uh, this fluid push and pull of the world, and like all yeah. creating a unified Earth. Exactly. So it's like definitely dissolving. That's definitely anti ego. Yeah, and what I was saying before about the type of um, like cause and effect idea, which is like the truth that one should recognize when like reaching towards enlightenment. In Buddhism, that's known as karma. It's pretty much what you do causes some effect. And what I love so much about that is it's less about being judged by some greater power of what you do. It's kind of just like your actions result in certain effects. And when you do positive things, a lot of the time it yields positive effects. And it's not like the world in Buddhism is trying to crush the like damnable evil people it's just like the world works in a way where like when someone does something negative it often like affects them in a negative sense so like over time buddhism like for everyone the hope is that they over time learn from this cause and effect system how to live their life in a better way how to be happier how to make the world happier And one of my favorite things, um, going back to death, is I just finished this book called The Art of Living by this um, Buddhist monk, Thich Nhat Hanh. And he recently died. He was a really high up figure. And one of the things he said that I really love is he talks about death as being transformation of matter rather than some like grand event that's happening. He said there's no true death in the same way there's no true birth. Because to him, it's just like matter assembles a certain way. When conditions are sufficient, we manifest. When conditions are no longer sufficient, 
we no longer manifest. Yeah, just just disintegrates and you go somewhere else. I mean, when you were go back, go back to Mother Earth. Born, that's when you were created. But if you think about it, trace yourself back. You were in your father, grandfather's sperm. You were in your mother, grandmother's egg. You know, uh, if all these things, like you were living in all these people before you came to Earth as yourself. And one of the most beautiful things he says as well along that train of thought is when you have someone who died, who you're close with, someone in your family, you can look at yourself, you can look at your palm, and in your palm you'll see your mother or grandmother or grandfather's palm. You can look at your face and see aspects of their face, or you can look at yourself and see aspects of their personality. And he says, no matter what, they still live on with us. Not just in our mind, but in our body and in ourself. That's like the, uh, what's the, what's the TV show? Midnight Gospel. Midnight Gospel. That's like the last Midnight Gospel episode, you know, his mother dies and then he has a baby and she just gets reincarnated into this baby. And that's a, yeah, that's an interesting, that was definitely, that's, that's a, very cool concept, especially the way that they do it. I, I recommend that for anyone who might be listening. Watch, go watch the last episode of Midnight Gospel. It's very powerful. Um, yeah, and that's definitely a cool way to deal with death, to know that, I guess, you, you and your family and the things that you care about aren't actually leaving. They're just being reassembled into something else like maybe your 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 mother's laugh you hear your mother's laugh in your baby's son's laugh or something stuff like that that's that's definitely a nice way to to deal with death of a loved one and and yeah to to not think of it as the end but just a reassembly Mm-hmm. Matter. Yeah, of course. That's one of my favorite things uh, Buddhism teaches on fear of death. One of my other favorite things they teach is, well, first, there's meditation on death. Have you any experience with meditation on death? No, it's that? It's pretty much preparing yourself for when you're going to die. What is that, like, uh, like sensory deprivation? <laughs> no, 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 not like choking yourself or anything. Well, no, sensory, sensory deprivation <laughs> is like... like going into this pitch black pool and you shut the lid and it's perfectly 98.6 degrees room temperature and it's perfectly salty so you just sit there buoyantly and like you there's no sound there's no smells there's no sight there's no nothing you're just sitting there almost like you're like a fetus and you're just sitting there in absolute dark absolute nothing just Mm. you in your you and your thoughts i kind of want to try that That's yeah that does sound really cool i thought you were talking about like choking yourself until oh. you can't oh. feel anything in your body. <laughs> <laughs> which is another way i guess one could yeah, as that's been. yeah no uh, not, not not super into that yeah <laughs> <laughs> new method paves yeah. the way to acceptance of death oh yeah um no i'm talking about with buddhism um they have this death meditation which is well first off in buddhism there's these five remembrances which is pretty much things they want people to think about when looking towards their death and it's these five things 
that you just like should be keeping in mind, which is I'm sure to grow old, I can't avoid aging. I'm sure to get sick, I can't avoid illness. I'm sure to die, I can't avoid death. I must be parted from all those dear and beloved to me, and I'm the owner and the heir of my actions. I will reap the fruit of my actions for better or for worse. So these are like the five things that are like things people should keep in mind and remember when going throughout their lives. And of course it doesn't have to constantly be on their minds, but I think it's super healthy to be considering these ideas. And going off of that, what meditation on death is, is pretty much, much like the five remembrances, setting yourself up for death. It's meditating, thinking of the fact that you're gonna grow old, imagining what that will be like, imagining yourself as being weak, imagining yourself as being sick, Imagine yourself as leaving your belongings, as leaving all your loved ones, as actually going through the process of dying and what that looks like and what that feels like. And what I feel like is so healthy about that is first you look at death directly. And second of all, what I find to be so healthy about that is it helps prepare you to think about life in certain ways having looked at your death directly. Yeah, yeah, that does sound cool. I feel like, is that the, is the scariest part of death the things that you know? Like leaving behind your belongings, leaving behind your loved ones, maybe your body, like being buried and I guess depending on, or depending on how your body is disposed of, like, whatever, having like worms crawl around you because, you know, you go back into the earth and, and mm -hmm. there's worms in the earth. Uh, is, is the scariest part the things that you know that are going to happen or the things that you don't know are going to happen? You know, whatever's on the side of that, well, whatever on the other side, whatever is on the other side of that big, big black wall that you can't see over climb up and you climb up and you like know you're climbing up and then one day you're just on the other side mm. and or, or one moment you're on the other side and you don't know what some people don't even some people die without even knowing that they died but like what is on the other side what is it you know the age-old question what's on the other side which which is scarier on the, the the aspects of death on this side or on the other one yeah I guess there's a combination of both, of course. I mean, for me, I find we definitely fear the unknown. That's one of the greatest fears. I think that's where death and fear of lack of control go to. I think that's what even lies beyond those. Or actually, it's hard with those three. I feel like they all kind of tie in together, and like they're all the root of all fears. You can't really decide which one's the very core. Death. But with death, lack of control, and unknown? Yeah. Yeah. But pretty much, I find the thing that lies beyond us, the unknown, how do we deal with that? I mean, that's a hard question, you know? And I say the greatest method for that is just repression of the ego and repression of the need to be in control of things, the need to know things the need to be able to say, I'll do this to bring about this in my life. Because I feel like that's something ingrained in us. We want to be able to like, toss some toast in the toast, toss some bread in the toaster, come out with toast, 
same thing with death. Like, we'd love to be able to, if we had died, be like, oh, I do this, and then what lies after death is this all of a sudden. I can decide this, and that's yeah. why, of course, we love the idea of heaven and hell. Oh, yeah, exactly. we, we can live well, and then we can go to heaven. But uh, it's hard, you know? I, I think you need a combination of the two, like, different types of practices, one for dealing with the unknown and one for dealing with leaving the world behind because they're both difficult things we have to deal with. Yeah, yeah. I think the the heaven or hell, the Western side of dealing with death is better for the, for the, the, for dealing with the side, the, the living side of your death. So like the things that happen in the living world after you die. So that's like whatever's going to happen to your body, whatever's going to happen to your belongings, whatever's going to happen to your loved ones. Think it's better? Or Well, I think that Western, so heaven or hell, heaven or hell is better for dealing with that. Oh, because yeah. heaven or hell, you're not just saying, okay, I'm going to disassemble my ego and I'm going to let the wind and let chance and let whatever happens take me or... Or, like you're not you're not exactly you're not surrendering to the to the flow of the world you're you're doing something in hopes that on the other side of the barrier on the unknown side of the barrier you're gonna have something something good you're gonna go to heaven but I think that it's easier to deal with the things that you that you know are gonna happen by following the heaven or hell idea because you're sort of you're sort of it can lead you to live a better life you know it's easier to it's easier to do good things if you think you're going to be rewarded and it's easier to like teach love and and if you think that that's gonna make you go to heaven or if, or if that's the way that you want to live your life and then i think that the reincarnation the other half Another way to deal with death, the reincarnation, the disassembly of the ego is help, more helpful for letting go and accepting the things that you don't know, the, the unknown side of the barrier of death, the things that you don't know what's going to happen after you die. Yeah, and of course I think, going back to the idea I brushed on before about the biological function the ego has, fear of death I feel like stems from our ego being our body. Because when we die, like, ego dies as well, you know, and vice versa. So the ego, of course, needs to protect itself by having that fear so deep of death that we don't really want to ever, like, think about it even. Yeah. I mean, you never see someone jumping for joy at the thought of death, but who knows what lies beyond it. It could be like a pizza party. Yeah. You know, it's kind of shocking. You'd think, like, an unknown just... In the same way it could be bad, it could be extremely good. Yeah. And yet no one's really excited for death. The only way they could be excited for death is just like, I guess, relieved, but I wouldn't call that excited, and that's only if you're in a lot of pain at the current moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. No one, no one, it is just universally bad thing. And, and I do think, I, I thought that's interesting what you said about tying your phys your your ego to your physical body because like what's an animal's ego its body mm -hmm. you know and it, it, i mean you can say a lot of things about what's going on in an animal's brain or 
I guess we're animals, so that's an oversimplification, and I don't think there's a, there's the difference between human, humans, and other, air quotes, animals are, are often very exaggerated, I think, but, but for a, you know, what's a, what's a human hold, like, what, what's, What's a human holding on to? It's ego, but a, but a, but a lower, a le, uh, an animal with less consciousness is not holding on to its ego. It's holding on to its body and it's holding on to its genes and, and what it wants to pass down. It's more physical and less abstract and, and mental. Uh, yeah, it's less, less about the ego. Yeah. One thing I'd love to move over to is how to find more appreciation with life in terms of death. Because I feel like, of course, our life in a lot of ways feels aimless and people often struggle to find a purpose. And I find for a lot of people, death in some ways makes their lives so much more meaningful because they're like, look at this. I only have this long to live. This time is precious. I mean, of course you see it in the same way if I was talking to some idol, I'd be like, wow, I need to spend every single moment of my time with him, like super attentive, really talking with him. Whereas if I'm with someone like you, I can just be like, oh, maybe I'll go on my phone, I'll do whatever. (laughs) But you hear my example, like with death, if there wasn't death and endless life, I feel like we would go insane so fast. We would, be doing nothing because there would be nothing there would be endless time there'd be no rush there'd be no push everything would be attainable if there was endless time mm-hmm. yeah it definitely motivates people you know what do i gotta do what do i what do i gotta do i got i gotta whatever start my family early so my, my i gotta i gotta work i gotta get a job so i can support my kids i gotta pay for them to go to school or i gotta pay for them to, to, whatever, like, like support my family. You gotta put food on the food on the on the on the dinner table. It it definitely can. It definitely like speeds not speeds thing things along, but serves as a cat serves as a catalyst for people to do and achieve the things that they want because you slowly see time getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And it's kind of like a like a like a spur in your in in your butt. It's like oh 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 shit. Like I gotta yeah. do this, and you know you especially feel that growing up. You know, mm-hmm. going into college. Oh oh my god, I gotta do I gotta do this. I gotta figure out what my what my major is. I gotta I gotta figure out what I'm what I'm doing. You know, I think that's a that's a that's a you don't really feel that as a kid because death is so far in the future. Once well. you get like. Or you think it's so far in the future. It's, it feels that way as a kid. But when once you hit, like, I don't know, 18, 20, 30, it starts. You're, you're kind of forced to reckon with that and, and start. I was actually talking to Yaverbaum about this today. Yaverbaum is my physics teacher. And, and he was asking me why I want to do gap year. Because I want to do spend part of my gap year doing research or, or doing something in his lab. Oh, damn. So he was like, why do you want to, why, why do you want to do a gap year? And, and, and I said, from when you're a kid, from zero to 
18, you have, you have your life and you go from being a child, a baby, to being the, you being the hot stuff. You know, you yeah. are nothing in your school and then you, and you go to high school and then you're a senior and you're the, you're the coolest dudes in school. You know, obviously not the coolest dudes in school. You're Sebastian, like, at least uh, you're yeah. not. <laughs> but like, yeah, but like you, you know, you're a senior and you're, you're, everyone looks up to you and, and, and you kind of run the place because you're the oldest, you're the biggest, you're the strongest, you're the smartest, whatever. And then you go to college mm. and you snap, transformed back into this helpless baby. You have no friends, you know no one, you're living on your own for the first time probably and like you're in classes where the teacher doesn't even know your name and if you get a zero on a test, they're not gonna reach out to you and be like, oh, are you, or, oh, are you okay? Like, they're just like, no, you're the dumb kid, whatever. You, you just, you, you go from having everything done, not everything done for you, but you have so much support as a kid, and then you think you're the, you, you're the hot stuff, and then bam, I think college hits everyone like a yeah. truck, and you get transported back to being the baby. But you're, you're the baby of, you're the babies of the, of your adult life. And he's like, so, so why, why do you want to take a gap year? Like, I'm not ready to start my adult life. Like, I'm not ready to start my adult life yet. I'm, I know I'm going to have to be, be that baby again or be the, I know I'm going to have to, you know, go into college and start, start my real life, you know, my like adult life, air mm-hmm. quotes, because I don't know if you're an adult in college, but I'm going to have to start my real life. And I'm not ready for that. So I think that that's kind of the difference. There's a difference between zero to 18 and 18 to whenever you die because you're like kind of told like, okay, that was all practice. Now's the real thing. And the next barrier is death. So then that's when I think death kind of starts to not creep up on you, but you start to feel the time shortening. You're like, oh, I got to do all this stuff. I got to do, I got to do what I want to do. I got to be who I want to be. I got to meet who I want to be, I got to build the life that I want to live because, because, because you're in stage two and yeah. there is no stage three. I see that. I mean, I feel like there are things that are real, like adult world things you have to deal with if you're taking a gap year as well, because you're living on your own. Or, I mean, even if you're living with your parents um, and, like, not, like, uh, I don't know, some people, like, take their gap year and, like, go somewhere else and, like, intern or work in some other place. If you're still living, say, with your parents, you're still working a job, probably. Or, like you say, you're going to work in a lab with um, your professor as probably a lab assistant, and that's going to be real-world work. And you're not going to be in school. In a lot of ways, it's even more like the real world. And I feel like... What's hard about saying, like, some stuff... I mean, of course, with college, there comes a lot of real-world things you have to deal with. But always in life, things that are, like, really intense and bring you back to the reality of life beyond this um, comfort that comes with, like, you know, I said before, the superego. You can just, like, cry, and then you have the comfort of the mother's breast, or you're able to reach out to some great force of religion when when you don't have that and you 
are forced to look out for yourself. Of course, it's scary and difficult. And throughout your life without knowing it, things pop up that force you into that state of realizing how little control you have and how much you have to really like, I guess, look out for yourself, kind of like figure things out on yourself. And that's a difficult thing to deal with. No matter how you try and escape it, no matter what you try and do, that's what you have to deal with. Yeah, I don't see it as an escape from from stage two. Yeah. You know, stage one is, is childhood. I don't see it as an escape from stage two. I see it kind of as as a practice year, mm. a year to figure out what I want to do with my life and figure out who I want to be and figure out how to be that person and figure out you know, like the people I want to meet and who I want to spend my time with and, and, and who I want to be. So it's, I don't totally, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to run from stage two because I know that yeah. that's futile, but I see it more as a practice year and a year to screw up where, when it doesn't matter, a year to make mistakes when they're not the people, when, when the people who are around me are not the people who I'm going to know for the rest of my life. Because sure, maybe you meet, meet some friends on your gap year that you, that you stay friends with the rest of your life, but you know how often your your parents talk about college friends. Your parents both when your parents met in college, right? Yeah. Yeah, stuff like that. Like, I don't. I'm not ready to meet the woman that I'm gonna marry. Like, what the What the hell? I'm yeah. Not, I'm not. I, maybe some people are, and some people, some people obviously, when you meet in college, you are you both people are not the same people as when you get married because, you know if takes 10 years for you guys or five years to get married you're not the same person that you are you are not the same person that you were five years ago but still i don't feel ready to to start stage two of my life because those your, your grades in college your major how well you you do whatever your your whatever degrees you get your college friend maybe the the, the 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 woman that you meet that you're gonna marry or something those are the people that you meet in college and that that's that's all stage two that carries out throughout stage two and there is no reset button like there is from when you go from high school to adulthood or high school to college there is no reset button so I want to take a year yeah and just fig and, and 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 figure figure it all out and reflect and reflect on my high school experience and see, okay, what did I do wrong? What could I have done better? What did I do right? Who, you know, in what scenarios was I the person that I want to be? Who is the person that I want to be? You know, all sorts of, reflect on my high school and then have that, have, have that year to, or yeah, have that year to, to practice with all that knowledge before I go into the rest of my life. Practice before I start the rest of my life. Yeah, bringing it back to death. I feel like with death, I've been able to find a lot of that same reflection. Looking at my death, well, not look at it like directly in a biological sense, but like psychologically, like 
thinking about my own death has allowed me to change my life in a lot of ways. In the same way you're talking about, like, looking at the real world and in that way, looking at death, which lies beyond when you take that step into the adult world. You're, you're preparing for death in the future. You're preparing for your life in general. For me, when I've been able to look into death, it's allowed me to look into my life. It's allowed me to change my life for the better and find things that I need to do to cause me to be happier. I've found like for myself, one of the biggest things is reaching out to more people. I think that's one of the most important things we can do when we're around, staying in touch with people. That's one of people's biggest regrets when they die. And also with myself, motivating myself to meditate, to get sleep, to work out, to do things that keep me alive, that keep me happy, because without that, I'm not living the life I want to live before I die. Is it like, when you say thinking about your death helps you live the life you want to live, is that like, oh, thinking about what if I died tomorrow, what would I regret, and what would I know, like what? Less about that, more recognition of death lies for me eventually, and this is the life I have and more recognition of how time passes so fast and how before I know it, I have times where I'm like, wow, like I'm here already. But before I knew it, I'm going off to college. It felt like so long in the future I'd be going off to college just a moment ago. Stuff like that bring me to think about how time passes in ways we can't fathom, in ways we can't recognize, in ways we can't control. And as we push forward towards death, as we have to do, we have to come to these realizations or else time will pass us by and we won't be able to spend the time enjoying it, doing the things we love. I mean, bring it back to Buddhism. One of the things that I love they have is appreciation of life as well as recognition of death. Because while you're recognizing like with the five remembrances, with meditating on death, while you're recognizing I'm going to die one day, there's also all these practices, like mindfulness practices, that are meditating on life. For example, bringing attention to your breathing and recognizing your breath is a fact that you're alive. When you breathe in and breathe out, you just, like, you're breathing life. You are life, and that's proof of it. And just recognizing that and being grateful for that, that you're alive at the moment. And when death lies for you sometime in the future, well, it lies for you sometime in the future, but you are appreciative of the time you have now. And you are taking the time to prepare for when you have to face it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that... I don't think you can appreciate life without recognizing death. Yeah, I don't think you can appreciate life without recognizing death because, you know, what, 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 what makes something valuable? Usually not, it's, it's usually not itself. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot of the times it's the fact that it can be taken away and, and, and that can, or maybe maybe not value, but like that can, having it taken away can make you feel or recognize its value a lot more. Like for example, 
uh, like I remember the thing I the story slash poem just I don't know it was kind of just free thought uh, mm. thing that I read you guys at my house about my grandma's house yeah yeah I remember you that you don't you don't it's easy to it's easy to take things for granted and everyone does that everyone takes everything almost everyone takes so many things for granted like how about the fact that you can push a button and your entire house has lights in it or you can you can walk into a room and take a poop and it just goes away and you never see it again that's not that that doesn't happen in the wild that's not supposed to happen or you can you can walk in somewhere and take a shower and just all of a sudden be clean that that's not stuff that's supposed to happen in nature that those all of those are inventions that have happened in the last if 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 human life if if the human if the history of humans was i don't know a year all of that stuff has happened in the last second but Mm. we living in that last millisecond um take take that for granted and but what would it be like if you had no toilet? If you, you don't appreciate your toilet because you, you've never known a world without a toilet. You don't think, oh, thank God I don't have to live in a house where, like, my shit just stays here. Like, that would be absurd, and it sounds silly when you talk about it, but you don't, you don't, appreciate, you don't appreciate that. And, and, but if that was taken away, you would certainly appreciate it. So going back to life and death I think that it's really hard to appreciate something that you've taken that that's so easy to take for granted and you can't stop taking life for granted once you face death once someone you love dies once once you experience death or once you just come to terms with death and I think that's the hardest thing for someone for a person to do and that's why so many people don't take their life for granted that's why you have people who, I don't know, just do dumb, self-sabotaging shit because they don't really, they don't, they don't, really, they don't, they don't really know what they've got. Yeah. So death gives us gratitude for life. Yeah. And that gives our life purpose, purpose. and happiness. Yeah, meaning, happiness, and it allows you to, to enjoy it so much more. Enjoy the, you know, the toilet is a is a is a dumb example, but. What about someone you love, you know, if or or your parents is a good one. You're you're you've always you've always had your obviously some people don't grow up knowing their parents or have something happen. But assuming that like most people have always had their parents for 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 their for most of their childhood, or let's just assume that your parents stay alive until adulthood. You've always had your parents, and it can be so. One of the most difficult things in 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 life, or not difficult things in life, but like one of the hardest things to do is in is to appreciate your parents. You know, there's so much hatred towards you, towards people's parents, towards mm-hmm. your own parents, because it's so taken for granted. You know, you you're, you know that your parent is never not gonna love you, even though you can be biggest you can be the biggest asshole in the world you can be a murderer and your parents your mom is still gonna love you and and obviously that's making a few assumptions 
Like I know that there are people who are not that lucky, but but for the most part, your parents are always gonna love you, and and it's really hard to appreciate that. You know, most people, some people, especially teenagers, like can't freaking stand their parents, but but dealing with and then you grow up and you you, you come to terms with death. You see death happen to whatever, maybe their parents, your own grandparents, or you see death happen to a friend or a friend's parents or something, you like come to terms with death and it makes you appreciate life more. And I think that that makes you appreciate the things that actually matter, not like toilets, like love, like happiness, like being being a good person. I feel like it allows you to appreciate that more. Or like toilets. I or mean, like toilets. in the, the words of Sebastian, life is like a toilet. You won't realize how much you have to be grateful for until, until it's, it's all flushed away. All flushed away. <laughs> I think that's a wonderful note to end on. Sebastian, do you have any final comments? No, no final comments. Uh, actually, wait, let me think, let me think. I don't know. Appreciate your parents, man. Appreciate everything. Appreciate everything you have, especially life, because you never know what you got until it's gone. Indeed. To all you listeners... Thank you so much for listening to Sebastian. Thank you so Thanks much for, for coming on. on. It was a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Me too. And once more, have a wonderful night. And I'd love to see you next time on the Ray Night Radio. Mm-hmm.